podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Gregory, and we are coming to you in the middle of February in what feels like it should be the end of 2020, but is in fact only the beginning because the world is a flaming ball of fire and hell and things. Oh, we're not are... on fire quite yet fully. Like, like a lot of the world's on fire. Some of the world's on fire. And if the world's not on fire, people are on fire because they are running into the fire. I don't, this was going to be a metaphor and I started talking and it didn't go anywhere. So I'm just going to stop. Um, uh, this is, Make My Moldversity uh, is your home for all things Marvel Comics, news, reviews of, of comics, movies, some TV stuff, yada, yada, yada. Uh, we are hosted by the illustrious multiversitycomics.com. If you've never heard about multiversitycomics.com, if you're coming to us fresh from Apple Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, first, uh, give us a rating, review us. We'd love to hear from you um, in the comment sections on those places, but also over at multiversitycomics.com. Multiversity Comics is your home for all things news reviews tons of think pieces and other fun uh columns podcasts and other um really great and wonderful things for all of you that love comics not just big two comics but a ton of indie things ton of graphic novels a ton a ton a ton of television because our boy jake hill who is not with us this evening because he is sick shout out to jake uh we love you uh eat that chicken soup but not the chicken soup for the soul because I don't know if it'll help you. Um, uh, Jake, our lovely TV manager, keeps everyone on their toes. So there's a ton of television review stuff for shows, frankly, that I've never fucking heard of before. Uh, so head on over there. Uh, but joining us this evening is uh, Elias Rosner, Multiversity Comics contributor, contributor extraordinaire. I was Ew. about to say contributor, contributor. I made it work. And then I told you that I'd make it work, which means that it didn't work. But that's okay. Anyway, Elias, how are you doing? Doing pretty well. Little, little, uh, little bit tired. A little bit loopy. Uh, for anyone who's listening and goes, why, why is some of the sentences not resolved? Well, the reason is I'm running on, uh, I think two hours of sleep. Oh Jesus! Maybe, maybe a Did little you, like, more. Fly out Nothing of the consecutive. Or or... I no. So I came. I just came back from a. Sci-fi movie marathon up in Boston, uh, which is always a ton of fun. I've been going the last five years. My friend uh, Jake, who's from up there, his family's been going since I think like the third or the fourth, uh, and he's been going for 10, 11 years. Um, but it's 24-hour movie marathon preceded by a festival, but I never really had the time to go to that. But So I just came back from driving back from Boston, basically, after we're watching about 12 movies, 24 hours. Oh, my God. Did you sleep through any of them, or, like, you watched I all did. of them straight? I did. I usually can't make it through all of them. Uh, I usually okay. fall asleep around 3, 4 a.m. And, and in and out until about 6.37, sometimes 8, rather fitfully during all of that. So I missed bits and pieces of a couple of those movies and then one movie entirely. Oh, okay. What... Like, is this like old sci-fi movies or like current? All over. So this year we watched, we watched Miracle Mile, which is uh, an 80s film. 
Uh, we watched okay. uh, the original Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, the silent movie uh, from 1920. Mm. That movie is 100 years old, which is wild. <laughs> uh, oh, shit. Uh, and then we watched, we watched a few others, some uh, nice schlocky B-movies from the 50s, like Fiend Without a Face, um, mm. or something a little more contemporary, like Fast Color, the indie uh, superhero film. That came out last year. That was really good, and they're making that okay. in, apparently into an Amazon Prime series. So shameless plug because we are a superhero website. Well, I guess we're comics, but it's always nice to see fun takes on superheroes and other mediums. Um, oh yeah, comics is American comics are so intertwined with that genre. That's dope. That's yeah. So cool. What was your favorite one? Oh, it, that had to be Midnight Special. Midnight Special by mm. far. It was it was great seeing all of these other ones. A few of them were just weird. Seconds and altered states were bonkers. Yeah. Uh, they're just one was what happens if I take ayahuasca but super ayahuasca in a sensory deprivation tank in order to commune with God and physically manifest regressions of evolution it's bonkers but midnight special is probably my favorite of them all uh oh we also watched soylent green oh okay yeah classic yeah. i would i would take the super ayahuasca that sounds fun that sounds like it'd be a trip well you get you get to eat a gila monster okay all right sounds great probably tastes like chicken all the good things <laughs> um well, cool. Well, I hope I hope that your your loopiness shines shines through in, in a lot <laughs> of fun too. ways. Um, we're going to be talking about this episode, uh, some of Marvel's biggest books from the end of January and the first part of February. So kicking it off on the first half of the episode, we're going to talk about Nebula number one, Ant-Man number one. And from all the way back in January, we know it's been a bit the first issue of the Guardians of the Galaxy uh, relaunch from Al Ewing. And the second part of the episode, we'll be talking about some Don of X books. Uh, if you're just here for the X-Men things, skip ahead. Um, but kicking off, we're going to uh, take on the first issue of Nebula, um, a five issue miniseries written by Vita Ayala, illustrated by Claire Rowe, uh, colored by Mike Spicer, lettered by Travis Lanham with a gorgeous cover by the great, 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 great Jen Bartel. Uh, this is Nebula's first solo series uh, ever in the history of ever. Oh my god! Um, wow. Yeah. So you know, I guess if if you're if you're played by Karen Karen Gillan long enough in the you know in the live action television, they give you they give you a, a mini series, uh, even though she looks nothing like Karen Gillan in the <laughs> movies, and it makes me sad because Karen Gillan is a wonderful person and beautiful specimen um anyway uh so elias we're kicking it off all those prosthetics yeah 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 it's just it's yeah oh man yeah yeah all right uh Speaking but that jim bartel cover yeah yeah sci-fi go ahead you yeah so i i kind of wish that it was all drawn by jen bartel but i really like claire rose stylization of everything um, it's this re it's this nice mix, especially of the design of Nebula between uh, 
her comics counterpart and the movie version uh, that we ended up getting. It's it's uh, a, a nice middle ground uh, that I think for fans of the character from the movies, this would be a really nice place to enter for them because they can check it out and be like, oh, I like Nebula. Let me pick up this miniseries. And there's a, a recognizable version that's not necessarily tied down uh have doesn't necessarily have the same backstory like the exactly the same but it's similar enough we're introduced to the character fairly fairly quickly fairly easily and we get to know exactly what nebula is like uh within those first two pages and it's very anti-hero actually it's very villain uh oh yeah <laughs> to, to get like, to start us she's just like uh, not a good person here no yeah no but i appreciate that because that's who Nebula is. It's not, I want to say watering down the character, but it's, it's not coming in and being like, oh, we're just going to do different. But by the end of the issue, it looks like we're going to be getting, I mean, how much spoilers should we talk about the issue? What's we'll circle back. We'll circle back to the end. Cause I have thoughts okay. about that. Yeah, and I do too. They're somewhat, yeah. They're somewhat related to what you're saying. So I think, um, yeah, it very much seems like, this is a character that is is only getting uh, a mini because she's been on the big screen for for long enough that people are like, okay, it's time, um, and that's fine. Like that's totally wonderful, and I absolutely think that you're right. That somebody who watched Guardians of the Galaxy one or two or both of them or just the second one, I don't know, or even uh, Infinity War. God uh, forbid. Yeah, uh, I guess <laughs> yeah, they in, only I watched guess Infinity War. No End Game. Yeah. Nothing beforehand. Very yeah. confused. Nebula's in it. Nebula's got a sort of big role in Endgame because she lives. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Anyway, yeah, they could come from that to, to this character. And for the most part, I think that um, like Ayala and Ro do like a really good job. Uh, like I like how this I- issue drops you sort of in, in media res. Like you don't really need any of the backstory of the character and the little bit of backstory that you may or may not want is given to you by the one scientist guy who's like about to shit his pants and he's like are you Thanos's daughter so you know good exposition uh um, yeah yeah uh i think too you're you're saying about about rose art um had you read anything that that claire Rowe had 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 drawn before this i don't believe so let me quick google search okay yeah, because she. Well, oh, so was she was say, the artist on Batgirl: Birds of Prey. Yes. Okay, um, so I miss. No, I read that first volume. I did read, I, read that first volume. I kind of, I really, really didn't like the art on that book. Uh, for the most part, like I thought it looked mm-hmm. really sort of like like gangly. Like all the characters looked kind of like gangly and had weird limbs, and it just it, like yeah. there were some odd odd proportions, and it was like a very you know it was a very gritty book because it was like a Gotham book. It was um you know like the like the birds of prey are you know street level gotham folks um but i think i think this version of claire row um is like a lot lot better like i love i really love the way that that nebula kind of like appears in this issue like she's still um like she's very bulky like you can tell like that she's like very muscly uh which is you know a lot of like i think a lot of male artists like particularly like when they're drawing women unless they're like getting like very, very close up, like they draw them uh, like very thin and like, it looks like they have no muscles, even though like all of them could, could kill me. Or they, or they look like they've got one singular muscle that has muscle growths. Yes. Yeah. 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 
and yeah and absolutely and like like nebula here looks um like like they just look like they just look very tough i think a lot of that too i was i was thinking about it like i think mike spicer's colors here are really really great yeah i don't, um, there there were a couple times where it, at least at the very very beginning i'm like i don't know how sold i am on them but only because nebula really stands out like the world yeah. coheres really well and then nebula walks on into the frame and you're just like it's like a cutout but yeah. I think that's the point. Like the pinks and yeah. the purple and the blue, they're meant to be unnatural. They're meant to stand out. They're meant to be, I guess, for lack of a better word, you see her. You see her coming. Yeah, yeah. I think that. I think that's definitely true. Um, like, like she, like Nebula is the only character in this comic that, or like the only figure really that is like drawn with any any blues or or purples or like that sort of color scheme. Like everything else is very yellows and oranges and like some light greens mm-hmm. um and so I, and i think too i remember thinking like when i read back on the birds of prey that like claire rose art looked like really not only like some things were gangly but like it was kind of smudgy too and and i don't there's nothing about about like this issue that felt like that for me so i really really appreciate that the other thing that i was kind of thinking like art related um reading this book uh which i think i kind of expected um uh, but it, it almost seems like like marvel is collecting right now like two different kinds of artists like two different types of artists so you have like the like the claire rose and the dylan burnett's who we'll talk about in a second when we talk about Mm ant-man like the juan ferreras and the otto schmitz like the jorge fornesses yeah of of the world and then we also have in the other category like the pepe larazes and the rb silvas and the valerio skidis and the stefano caselli's and like those kinds of people that it's more sort of the uh like digital but but like digital and more sort of like anime-esque but in like a like a really sort of like the like one cabal too is like another one that comes to mind like digital and like a and like sleek kind of in a fun way like, like this is more Dottoman. sort of like rough yeah like daughter yeah. too falls into that category and it really seems like like marvel has those sort of like two different distinct styles going on right now which i think is is really really interesting and i think like it has helped like I feel like a lot of the Marvel books right now are very much like stylistically different than all of the DC books that I'm reading right now. And I don't think that that's a thing that I've felt ever really. And I don't know if that's true or not, but it's a thing that I thought while I was reading this issue. For sure. I think, yeah, I, I don't know how accurate necessarily it is uh, to say that uh, Marvel is, is kind of doing this because there definitely are a lot of artists that, working at both Otto Schmidt came over from DC to Marvel. Um, right. And I, I guess DC in this last year has felt very in-house like that. They, they've gone, yeah. like there aren't a lot of books that are out of their house style or they're going back to a lot of books that have house style um, with variations and whatnot. And like the mini series are really where they're taking the risks or the anthologies. But uh, the main books are, are pretty not standard, but a lot a lot of the, the visuals are uh, more in line with that. Like look look at the people drawing Batman. I love them all, but you've got Tony S. Daniel, very, very you see his art, he screams DC, he screams superhero. Gilliam March also doing that, but leaning more into not the Kelly Jones style of horror, but he I mean this is not the DC cast, not the DC three cast, but 
current Batman run yeah. leaning more into the the horror aspects of like a Kelly Jones Batman run, um, right? While the artists still have that very clear uh, DC style, uh, Jorge Jimenez is coming onto the book. Uh, he's going to be mm-hmm. drawing a few issues. He also he's kind of I want to say he's he's like the Pepe Larraz or RB Silva of DC. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, although you got to give him the right colorist. Yeah, no, no, but I think. I think, um, I mean, I think that like what you're saying makes like a really great point. Like we have like on DC's flagship book, like three artists that have, that are very different, like stylistically, all three of them, like Daniel very much like DC, almost like DC house style kind of like, or like old image kind of style. Like Ian March, who is sort of emblematic of uh, like a, like a Neil Adams or like this sort of older, more horror like vibes of DC Mm -hmm. from like the, the like eighties and like when they actually did horror books and then like Jorge Jimenez who sort of falls into this camp of like the Pepe Larrazas and stuff, but like is an artist uh, like Jimenez or oh like Jimenez or like Doc Shaner, like uh, who are sort of like the more sort of like ecstatic, uh, like expressive loud and like a Mm -hmm. not loud, not in like a, uh like in a, in a derogatory way or whatever in like a sort of like more bombastic exciting and yeah. like those are not even art terms but that's what <laughs> i'm gonna say uh but like like those are three like those are three different very very different styles and like i feel like now and i don't i don't want to test this theory like too far but it feels like to me most of the time like when i pick up a marvel book um there's like more of a sort of like cohesive strand of like what the artist like the art is where like i read a lot of dc books and it seems like they have a lot of different kinds of artists doing a lot of different things, which fit like those projects, but it, so, so. All oh, that, all okay. That so say, that, that's completely the opposite of what I was thinking. Oh uh, yeah. I mean, like, it seems like Marvel has kind of like a little bit of, of it's, and it's not even too that all the books are like homogenous or anything. It just seems like that the art styles are sort of like very, like, the, very the, homogenous in some ways. They feel like they're two, two different schools of approaches. Uh, yeah, Marvel, exactly. Marvel's really playing into the two instead of just going, okay, we got an artist. Yeah. Here's a book. Go. Yeah, yeah. It seems it seems like like no, I guess I get what this is mean, one yeah. of the periods in in my comic reading experience that it feels like both companies are doing, even though they might be telling similar stories, like like artistically they're doing different things. Yeah, um, which I think is interesting. Uh, no, but speaking of the end of Nebula. Um, yeah end of nebula so yeah so this whole issue kind of uh revolves around her trying to steal this device that she gets implanted into her brain where she can sort of not like predict the future but can see outcomes and try to take the biggest one she gets a shit kicked out of her and then she like crash lands on this planet (laughs) and she loses her memory and that's how the first issue ends and we learn then we learn that the the arc is called upgrade or the miniseries is called um, upgrade it says upgrade part one so i want to ask what you think about about that Elias, because i had some thoughts i'm kind of conflicted um what i'm really conflicted about is because we see this kind of thing i've seen it so many times so many times especially especially with villains it's almost mm-hmm. always with villains sure when the hero crash lands they're like oh who am i what am i doing here but you know what they're gonna do they're gonna become they're still going to stay the hero because they've got the hero's heart or whatever. Um, but we do the, you do the same thing with villains, and they often do the same. 
I guess the, the the there's always that argument at the core of these types of stories. I guess you can see coming a mile away, and you hope that they they end up being subverted because it's usually as the person is is learning to live a new life, they're either very standoffish because they don't know anything, or that the the art the, the central argument inside is people are good unequivocally and that they will do the right thing when unencumbered by their past or i guess conversely you sometimes you have it as these people are bad no matter what you give them a brand new start they will fall back on the things that prior to losing their memory they were doing anyway and it's kind of just who they are and you can tell a lot of really interesting stories with that and and to make or when when you tell those stories you often can drill down a little bit more into the character you can learn who they are what they want to be and complicate them a little bit especially for villains usually there's that conflict unless they're completely you know stone cold murderers and they're just like when they get their memory they go, oh i don't care but i don't know i'm i'm i trust vita but I'm also worried that now that we're here, it's going to be kind of, you know, predictable. Yeah, I think that I think that's that's true. I and I did I did get to the end of this and I was like, oh, this has like the potential to be very, very kind of tropey and predictable is a good word. And then I started thinking about um, like the the kinds of like books that I um, like read or think about. And I think like I feel like for me, they're like. And this is this is a bad like with any typology is is problematic. I'm I go from one typology to another typology, so that's clearly where my mind is tonight. Um, like Marvel has kind of, sort of like like fun books or, ser- or like very serious books, and and DC does this too. And 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 fun and serious are very loose categories, but like within those, you have like you can have like fun and predictable, or fun and unpredictable, or serious and predictable, and ser- or serious and unpredictable. And I feel like to me, this book was like fun, but also sort of like predictable, like thing happens like try to steal thing thing stealing goes wrong ends with like an ending that i i didn't know was coming but now that i like get to the end of it it's like oh she lost her memory and now we're going to be asking questions about whether or not like nebula nebula can like be good because we've seen nebula be good like in movies or we've seen nebula be good in the comics sometimes there we're going to ask you know like is her losing her memory like in upgrade or is this like the upgrade that she wanted like is the you know the friends movie made along along the way kind of bullshit whatever um and it's like okay that's like an interesting story it's fun but like you could kind of see where it's going she's gonna have not have her memory for a little bit uh she's gonna be a good person she's gonna get it back she's gonna have to decide if she wants to be good or bad um and that could be a really fun story um even though it's like tropey i think like Mm. the worst is when you have like a very serious and predictable story like those are the ones that I think like are dumb, but the thing, the other thing that I was thinking getting to the end of this is that, is it good or bad to end a first issue from a character that's never had a comic before? And like to end the first issue where they lose their memory, like where the little bit of character development that you thought that you got with the character throughout the issue, like that you are stuck in a different place at the end. Like you, not that like you throw it out losing their memory, like it's going to come back probably by the end of the miniseries. But I was curious your thoughts about that move with the character who, um, like I could see a story like this with a character like Batman, who everybody knows Batman, everybody knows what Batman's about, or like mm-hmm. or like Iron Man, everybody knows what Iron Man's about, kind of Iron Man loses their memory. 
you like have a Tony Stark like without like the ego or whatever, and then like yeah. you see Tony like gain the ego back or not. Like it's different when it's a character that has less of a backstory. Um, could be interesting, could be not, could make for some big change uh, towards the end of the miniseries, or it could like come back to some status quo that was there was not really there. Yeah. I have no idea how I, how I feel about that. Cause I, I didn't particularly like that ending, but it also felt like the natural place to go. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Only because, well, I guess if she still had her memory, but had just crash landed, that would be a, a different story. But that was kind of where I thought it was going because this machine is kind of messing with her head. Uh, all of yeah. these different futures and, and this, threat guy who actually is a threat um yeah but and there's also this question of is it nebula herself that like is that why she lost to and got her got her shit kicked to this guy because he just outclasses her or is she or is it because she put this thing in her head and it was psyching her out enough that she wasn't trusting her own instincts and was trusting this machine instead that's why i don't like the that's why i also really don't like the memory loss thing because we can't explore those same ideas or or, or questions because we didn't get the chance we're just not given the chance we go straight into this other we complicated it basically uh yeah 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 but it could be it really depends on how how vita approaches it in the next issue um and i trust that vita's got the eye for it Uh, her, their live wire run um, dealt with maybe not similar themes, but live wire is not just hero, not just villain. And, and I really appreciated the way live wire was approached uh, over at Valiant. But the difference is Nebula starting out as just straight up Merc. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, like, I think that's true. Like I, um, and I like totally agree with you uh, that a lot of the stuff that, um, that I've read that 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 Vita, the Vita L has written like that I've loved like their stuff and and I think like this has potential to be a lot of a lot of fun and I say fun because like most of the books that I want to read are like books that are fun or books that I <laughs> come yeah. out of the experience of reading it and I'm like I enjoyed that not not just because I mean like the series I like like the series books and stuff too like obviously like I love like everything going on in, in, in the Dawn of X world like a lot of that stuff is very serious um, but it's like serious and in like a putting you through the emotional ringer kind of way or like yeah. put it, or like doing something completely different and unheard of kind of way, like something like a mortal Hulk that's serious and like weird and completely wacky and unpredictable. And I have no idea what's happening. Um, <laughs> and I think too, like, like the kinds of the kinds of questions that you can ask in when you change the status quo of a character in a mini series so they don't have their memory. Like you can ask questions about what is the sort of natural state of of people like without sort of any conditioning or or cultural things or or different like kind of um components or ideologies or or whatever like and those whether are or not that's actually where it's going to go cause... yeah yeah and yeah i could we we could very well be wrong like we may yeah. we may it, be in for another twist at the end of it could the next just be week. that could have just been a very incredulous like i don't remember like it, like she's got the she's like got the sense of who she used to be, and she, it's just the specifics aren't there. It's not tabula yeah. rasa. It's just shit. I don't have my memories. Who am I? How did I get here? 
why am I filled yeah. with this rage, this body, these other things? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm like, I th- so all that being said, like I thought that like the comic looked really beautiful, um, and I loved like what Roe and Spicer did, and I will probably read most things that Jen Partell <laughs> has any sort of contribution to has um, touched. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'm excited about the next, or I'm interested in the next issue. I guess I will say excited is maybe mm. showing I'm interested. Um, and I'm going to keep, I'm going to give it one more, um, but issue a series of that. I might not pick up the second issue of showing my cards a little bit, uh, moving right along is the first issue of the new five issue Ant-Man mini series. Uh, first issue written by Zeb Wells, illustrated by Dylan Burnett, colored by Mike Spicer, and then lettered by Corey Petit with a cover by Eddard Petrovich, who's been doing covers on Miss Marvel also. This is the first Zeb Wells comic that I've ever read, even though I, I think Wells has been around for a while. He suddenly had like a resurgence at Marvel. He's got like three or four books coming out or about to come out, which mm-hmm. is wild to me. And I thought this issue was like not super great. I got to the end of it. Uh, this was this was my uh, my sort of uh, takeaway is that this issue was less dime store Spider Man and more just sad cheap Aquaman. Uh, so <laughs> curious what you thought. Which Elias. Aquaman? The, no, the real question is which, which Aqu- Aquaman? Uh, like like super super friends Aquaman. Uh. Well, considering or, he's one of the creators of Robot, robot Chicken, that's Robot not Chicken surprising. Aquaman. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. See, I really liked it. Um, mm. but I can see why you wouldn't. Uh, and I can there's definitely there's a lot of talking and there's a lot yeah. of quips. It's just quip, 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 and not all of them land. I didn't think that most of them landed. I didn't laugh a single time reading this issue. Yeah. Oh wow. I guess I guess I'm just I guess I'm just a sucker for the these kind of uh, schlub schmuck characters, um, <laughs> and I think a lot of that also comes down to Dylan Barnett's he he sells a lot of these expressions. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. So I'm with I'm with it. I'm with the jauntiness. I'm really glad it it has the like semi cartoony style with the saturated color palettes. Um, mm-hmm. Because otherwise, it, if it was Zeb Wells' dialogue over something like uh, Lemel Francis Hughes' art, this miniseries, yeah. I would probably toss it. I wouldn't want yeah, to read it. It would, be, it, it would be a poor, poor match. But I think they're, they're a good match. I don't know. What, what is it that you didn't really like about it? Oh, I mean, I like... So I agree that I love Dylan Burnett's art. And, um, and I... I, I I really like Dylan Burnett and Dylan Burnett and, and again, Spicer together who like have, I think, I think Spicer's the only one who colors Burnett. And, and I, I, I like, I like what Burnett does. Like you're right. Like I think the sort of like cartoony, like schlockiness of the story, like really tries to sell what, like what is going on in the dialogue, like the page uh, in the beehive with the like weird sort of Nazi hooded character and the, like, the all around. That was, that was dope. That page was dope. A great, a great single page panel. Um, this comic looked really, really beautiful. Totally fine with that. And two, I like the sort of like small scope of of a story like this. Similar, I mean, similarly to like 
with Nebula. Like it's clear that whatever the story ramifications are going to be, they're they're just going to be contained to the character. Like there's not going to be anything sort of like big or whatever. Uh, I thought that was fine. And this was like the first time that I think that I'd ever seen Ant-Man like actually like talk to but like bugs like to the insects where like that they have caption boxes and i thought that was really clever which i know that i just called him cheap aquaman but i thought that that was like fun uh but like none of like the jokes kind of felt sort of i don't know like they just like they felt over the top or whatever not over the top actually like they felt like like dry but in like a like a like a not funny kind of dry like i think i like if you're in the room with them, the room would be awkwardly silent as someone tried to yeah. recover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I read um, the next couple issues of Rosenberg, Matt Rosenberg's and, and Otto Schmidt's Hawkeye Freefall. And there are a lot of like really sort of quippy, um, like sad kind of jokes in that sort of like this that and are like very kind of dry. I, I, I laugh my ass off like reading the last couple issues of that. And this, um, I don't know. I think also too, part of it for me was... Um, like I don't know a whole lot about like Cassie Lang as a character. Like she's not a character that I like have a ton of emotional attachment to. Um, I was surprised that her, her code name had changed to, to sting stinger. Stinger. Is that right? From, I don't know what it was before. It was something else. I I know Uh, so little about Cassie in the, in the comics. Uh, What I know from her is, was from the Lay Williams, the caption box comic. Uh, for for mm. uh, War of the Realms Giant Man, which okay, I think I think I prefer that take on Scott Lang and Cassie to this. Yeah, yeah. Even though I liked this, yeah. I think Leigh Williams really got that sad, funny down in that series. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think I think that's true. I remember remembering her from um, reading like the Unstoppable Wasp because she shows oh, up there yeah. some. And the approaches that like Williams and like Jeremy Whitley, who wrote uh, a stuff of wasp take to writing teenagers is different than the approach that Wells takes. Like Wells just kind of writes. Well, well, you've got, you've got basically uh, you've got angsty teen and deadbeat dad. Yeah. That's your characterization. Yeah. Wells, Wells writes Cassie for all like kind of for all intents and purposes. Like, yeah, like she's just like a, a really, really bratty teen and like, and Scott's like not a good dad. Uh, like you know but like they just have like a more sort of like antagonistic kind of relationship and this in a way that was like off-putting to me i guess like she just kind of doesn't feel like like a character she kind of feels just like a i just want to be like yelly and be like a sort of entitled like teenager which is not true to the way that i feel like i've experienced that character in the past so those were the kind of the things that, that that threw me on this um yeah even though i liked the art a lot I get that. I think I'm definitely going to give it another issue. And the fact when you said miniseries, I'm like, okay, I can see, I can see at least sticking through this. I think if it was an ongoing, I might have more problems with it going forward only because yeah, those weird characterization things where it may be true to the character in the comic, but it doesn't, it doesn't feel right. It feels too stock, too stereotypical, too kind of like fitting a mold, a pre-existing mold rather than, trying to fit the character but i'm excited to see the specter of hornets the silkworm ghoul and the rhino beetle hulk <laughs> i'm just I'm, I'm all in on that kind of bonkers stuff 
Yeah. And the fact that Swarm is the good one? Yeah. Question mark. Is a little worrying, but also it's just bees. Yeah. Bees? Bees? Like, Suit yeah. made of bees. Bees. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, I thought the the like the things that happen like in and around like the bee like the beehive stuff uh like the bees swarming him he gets a suit of bees all that like that's like that stuff was like cool and clever and yeah. and burnett sold it um or the panel where he just has his hands out and it's just bees 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 yeah bees, bees. yeah love that panel yeah yeah so i don't know i i just thought i just thought like a lot of it fell flat but that that might have been me and I might, you know, I might give it, might give it another go. I might wait until the entire thing is out and then come back to it, which is the benefit of Marvel putting out um, miniseries. Is yeah, that I think this, it and it's over. Yeah, I, I wonder if it'll work better. It might, it might work worse. But I mean, if you're not on board with the 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 that kind of humor, which yeah. is very hit or miss, uh, like Robot Chicken, always very mm-hmm. hit or miss, then. You won't like I can see myself starting to dislike the book midway through. I sure. it's not not super far fetched. I can see like the jokes just being like, Okay, I get it. Bring me back the B suit. Mm-hmm. Uh but we'll see. Uh yeah. After after his adventures with the Guardians. Yeah. Oh yeah. That was weird too, like that like Scott Lang's been to space and back and then war the realmings and stuff and he's now still he's like stuck in, this... in an anthill yeah well and it it blows my mind too that a character who's now had two several million dollar movies like doesn't have an ongoing series at Marvel. yeah or even just a presence in another book in another book right so that seems weird to me so i like that you know i like something like this that's kind of like fun and uh could like potentially like somebody could pick this up having seen ant-man yeah. uh and it like kind of matches the tone a little bit kind of sort of like very dry humor but yeah but something i really 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 enjoyed uh is the first issue of the guardians of the galaxy relaunch written by al ewing illustrated by juan cabal colored by federico blee and lettered by Corey petit this relaunch comes on the back of another relaunch of guardians of the galaxy from donny cates and uh and jeff shaw and Corey smith that lasted 12 issues basically lasted all of 2019 um and this and this issue also too picks up off of themes and plot plot points from uh, the uh avengers miniseries uh avengers no road home that ewing had a hand in co-writing with jim zeb and mark wade which is where all the gods things come, come in. Uh, so Elias, we'll start with you. Um, oh, also should be said that the, so this, this episode will, will go live the third week of February and the second issue of guardians of the galaxy comes out um, the week that this, uh, this episode airs. So another reason for us um, to be, to be talking about it. We'll sure to talk about more issues as it, as it goes along. Cause it's pretty good. But Elias, uh, what were your thoughts about this this first issue? I'm on board. I really mm-hmm. like it. I'm so Al Ewing sometimes writes really well. Yeah. Other times, 
can kind of be kind of fall fall pretty flat because he he really likes these grand ideas he really likes big big in scope that's why when he was writing for the inhumans it was the royals and there was these big set pieces and i think guardians is this really nice middle ground between his two tones because on the one hand you've got greek the olympians are back after i think it was the events of no road home where basically the greek gods were decimated and hercules had to go on a trip with a bunch of avengers across space and time and uh conan was there and yeah conan's canon to the marvel universe uh good old conan good old conan live on also canon to the marvel universe yep yep always fun but um yeah, so Guardians, it's big, it's bombastic, it's this huge team book, and the Donny Cates run kind of really expanded the team, not expanded, but brought in a lot of the people for the first arc, and then the second arc limited it back to the movie people, plus uh, Snapdragon and her girlfriend, who I don't Moon Moondragon and... And Phyla, Phyla there, Bell. There we go, Phyla. I think that's right. Yeah, Phyla. But this Guardians run seems to be picking up on threads throughout their history. Um, and while yeah. it's focusing on the movie characters, because, you know, Marvel Synergy, it, they're bringing in new people, they're bringing in old people, and it's, I don't know, it feels the right balance of very intimate, very weighty, but also yeah. utterly ridiculous and, and big and bombastic and guardian space nonsense. I really appreciate Kate's, Kate's run. I, I think we spoke about when we spoke about the final issue of, of Guardians, the previous volume. It just it never really went anywhere. It, yeah. kind of, it kind of spun its wheels and was trying to tell this big story, but never really told us why this this first issue even though there's all the all this you know big crazy ridiculous stuff going on in the background with the the greek gods and finding the olympians it grounds itself in the the characters and their problems and addresses the rest of the marvel universe like we have these two page two or three pages of uh i think it's richard rider nova old Nova um, um, just kind of recapping bits of Annihilation Scourge which if you missed it I didn't particularly love it but it, it I like mm-hmm. those kind of weird where it's like you've got a one issue and then you've got a three or four tie-ins that tell the story in a kind of square circle and then you've got a final mm-hmm. one which ties up a bunch of the threads from those and the way Ewing weaves this in and weaves it into the upcoming Empire stuff, but without really addressing any of it, just kind of hints yeah. at it and says, stuff's going on, you don't need to worry about it except for this one detail. And then you just see Ryder sitting in a corner, sad, saying, there's nobody left. Yeah. It's us or it's nobody. And just like, and they take the time to take the beats and say, well, why are they fighting? Because they're heroes. It's us. Mm-hmm. We got to do it, and I yeah. I really like yeah. that statement. And then the smash cut to hear the credits. It's mm-hmm. uh, I'm I'm really excited for this in a way that 
I was excited for the Kate's run at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think, I think that's a really, that's a really good point is the, um, like the Kate, the, the Donnie Kate's like Jeff Shaw, Corey Smith stuff, like felt like it was picking up on, uh, threads from other parts of Kate's work. And it kind of was, but it didn't really feel like it picked up on guardians threads. This one also feels like it's picking up on guardian. Yeah. 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 It picked, yeah. That stuff picked up on like cosmic ghost rider and, um, and Thanos, whereas this is like picking up directly in the aftermath of, of annihilation scourge, uh, like you said, and it hints at Empire, um, and there was something else too that I thought it it hinted at. Um, something. Well, anyway, uh, probably in that same spread. Well, there's the Olympians. Yeah, that part too. I think, but I think like like the fact that I can't remember it is is probably a testament. Like it it feels like, and 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 Ewing does this too, like in Immortal Hulk, um, like the way that Ewan writes, he's able to weave in sort of seamlessly, like all the other things happening in the Marvel universe at the same time. And I just, as somebody who like kind of cares about stuff like that, um, who likes seeing those threads, who is interested in how different stories impact these other stories and these other titles. Um, and who likes sort of keeping up with like the, the grand meta narrative, uh, all the time. Like I appreciate writers who can do that and who can do that in a way, in a way that doesn't feel, um, forced. I also really feel like this comic, um, like a lot of the Kate's run felt like it was picking up on this is how bad things have gotten for all the space characters in the last few years. And we're all really sad. And like Peter had a drinking problem or like not drinking. He was like, an, like he was getting drunk a lot in the first part of the run. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas like this, like another big event has happened. Like we're on the, the, the other side of annihilation scourge and we're like leading up to empire. And like this issue, like very much deals with like questions of like anxiety and like PTSD and like how to deal with trauma and stuff. And I feel like Ewing does it in such a way that it's not sort of like the, the, the sort of typical, like, ah, oh, this is how all those things like manifested themselves. Like it's, it's in like the subtle, the subtle beats in the conversations, like the, the rocket trying to be happy, but not sleeping well. And mm. Peter thinking like it can never be enough to just like be a family and all that stuff. Like it, it, it picks up in these really sort of um, emotional ways that are more sort of subtle, but like are nonetheless still very impactful. And I, and I appreciated it like a ton for those reasons. Um, a few other like little things, uh, the costumes for all the Olympians, 10 out of 10, uh, loved all the redesigns. They look super, uh, like weird and funky and retro, but also like sort of like cyberpunky. Um, like the, the panel where they get to like the floating city the first time and Zeus has like the bare chested in the cut of a, like a lightning bolt love it it looks great it's over the top i think i think it's wonderful um marvel boy giving his pronouns made me laugh so hard um and i thought that was great uh and like not in like a like in like a oh like that's how like a good uh sort of uh uppity like liberal millennial like would talk in like a good way like it's important to share your pronouns like i'm not saying that i just thought it was funny i wasn't expecting it 
when he, he characterized was himself. Him. Yeah, it was. It just. I just thought it was great. I just loved it so yeah. much because um, he because he, he's just led with this litany of different things about about himself. Uh, so it kind of, it yeah. makes sense to have at the end in the same way that like a Twitter bio has these sorts of things. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I thought that was, although I don't and know then, how like, many people have uh, psychedelic saliva. That's true. That's true. Or they can like create black holes and with their own physics universe, whatever stuff. And then for like Peter and rocket afterward to be like, oh, God, I'm so old. Uh, <laughs> like perfect, perfect response. Um, I even think too, like, on the note of like having Marble Boy here, um, who was, I don't think he was a Grant Morrison creation per se, but like the most like famous miniseries with Marble Boy is Grant Morrison and JG Jones. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that was a, a Marvel, a Marvel Knights book or Marvel Max or something. I haven't read it, but I know that that's a thing. Uh, there were so, there were so many moments, um, and, and most of this goes credit, I think, to Juan Cabal, um, like reading this mm-hmm. comic that it felt like it could have been like a Morrison Frank quietly like collab, uh, because I think that Juan Cabal draws faces very much like Frank quietly draws faces with the sort of um, more kind of like really defined cheekbones, like the eye shapes are kind of the same. He draws like specifically like like Quill. Peter Quill and, and Marvel boy, like they both have very similar, like similar styled faces, like in this and Peter's hair is like slicked back sort of in the way that like, I think of like reading like quietly like new X-Men stuff where like a lot of the hair is like, so like slipped back, slicked back in that kind of way. And not that like Ewing is a like Grant Morrison type, like he's very much his own thing. Um, but this, this has like enough sort of like weird wacky ideas that it feels like, it could be like Morrisonian and yet like it's reserved enough in the way that like sometimes when I read a Morrison comic, I have no idea what's happening. And, and the, the, well, the dialogue is clear. There's clarity. Yeah. I love yeah. Morrison, but like, man, nine yeah. times out of 10, I have no idea what a character has just said. And it's in English. Yeah. 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 And there's enough like weird things in this issue, like, like moon dragon doing the, you hear nothing, you see nothing. And, all of these gods running around in like weird, very like tight and like weird face paint kind of like yeah. whatever suits. Uh, and like, like Hermes like running around the city is like a thing that feels sort of more Morrisonian or like Marvel boy shooting him in the face. Um, like there are all these things that feel like they're sort of in that vein. Um, but this is like very much Yao Ewing doing this thing. Yeah, I loved I loved this I love this issue. I loved everything about it. This is what I want from I think a Guardians of the Galaxy book uh in 2020. Like it feels like Marvel's kind of finally hit like hit their stride with these characters. Uh like it there was like the Bendis stuff as the characters were getting popular, and then there was the Jerry Duggan, like Infinity Count and Infinity War stuff, which felt like the most sort of the characters were pastiches of their their Marvel Cinematic Universe counterparts. And then Kate's like went in the opposite direction. And this feels like sort of a perfect balance between like, we've seen a lot of shit and we're these characters, but also um, like they're like their own versions with all these like high concepts. Like there's still jokes in this issue and they're quippy, but there's like a f- like far more sort of like pathos and emotion behind everything that they're doing, uh, yeah. which is lacking in like the movie, movie counterpart characters. Yeah. 
the, the, mm-hmm. it feels like we're going to be getting the depth and it's already on display um, yeah. from the characters versus what came before, which didn't, I don't mean to continue ragging on, on the end of the second half of Kate's run, because that's really where I think a lot of his problems came from. I don't know why he moved on. I think I think that's that's part of it. That's part of why I felt it didn't feel like an end. But I I appreciate the way Ewing approaches his comics, and I think we've talked we talked about this before uh, when we were talking about Immortal Hulk twenty five. Um, Jake brought up the mm-hmm. whole this is the eighth iteration of the Marvel Universe and all that cosmic bullshit that I don't really understand. Um, <laughs> Marvel cosmic bullshit is very difficult, but. Yeah. That's Ewing's bread and butter. He he loves this kind of weird. I guess he, the Morrisonian everything is canon. Screw you! I'm going to bring in this random doctor from issue 17 back in 1972, and they're going to be the yeah. main villain now. That sort of yeah. thing. Um, yeah, I don't. Ewing doesn't really go as far, but uh, I get that same sense, and I'm getting that with Guardians. I think Guardians is the perfect series to do it with because they have access to so much of the Marvel universe, but they also have this, this tone that's been built up through the comics themselves. And then also through the movies that have come out that lend themselves to very different adventures than the Avengers or the X-Men or any of the other, or the fantastic four. Um, And I'm just really excited to see where this goes, what the team looks like, what the roster ends up looking like. Um, and all of that, because it is it is a different roster now, and they're fighting the Olympians. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Although I do hope uh, that we get more. Uh, well, I guess we we have. I have I hope the gender parity rem- parity remains equal, uh, because we don't need more all male teams. Sure. Sure. And I am curious, like if like Gamora and Groot and Drax, like when they'll show back up again, or if Mm -hmm. um, I think like it was teased a couple issues from now that they're going to come back and we're getting dead. No, Drax was in Drax. He's at the pink. Yeah. He, he came back in, um, in Kate's stuff. Yeah. I thought those were clones that were killed and they, they were clones, but I don't remember what happened. One of the Drax clones is back. Was That's the real Drax. Yeah, Drax is back. Um, yeah, because he was gone. Because like he got like split in Infinity War back yeah. to like being a person in the the Destroyer. But yeah, he's back. I don't know. He's back. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. I th- I think you're like I think you're right. I think I am curious. And I was thinking about this reading, like uh, getting to the end of this issue. Like, what happened with? Um, like the the Kate's run like to get here because it seems like it was like building to big things and then it kind of like fizzled out but this like seems sort of like very big and bombastic and it feels like it matters and it feels like it's going to be driving a lot of the things um going like going forward for the space stuff uh like I could see like Marvel's like cosmic things mm-hmm. um at least like recently have not been sort of like well defined like there are no other books besides this one right now that are dealing with like big, important and continuity sort of uh, Marvel cosmic stuff. Now I get like, that's going to change come this summer when empire sort of starts happening because it is a, 
a cos like a Marvel cosmic sort of event kind of because the Kree and the scroll are, are teaming up to, you know, destroy earth or whatever. Uh, but I could see like this book, maybe not directly tying in with empire, although it probably will, but like whatever the post empire status quo is like this book having a big, a big role in that. And I could see like spinning out of empire, a lot of like new and fun Marvel cosmic stuff. Like I could see mm-hmm. like, or Inhumans stuff spinning out of that. Possibly um, if they finally bring them back. Yeah. Like stuff um, in, or like stuff with the Cree and the scroll, um, like a Ronin book or something. I don't know, like mm. stuff in that vein coming out. Uh, and I'm excited. I'm excited for those things. Um, and I'm excited for this book. Cause like, I think this is a fun, wacky idea. Uh, we haven't talked about Hercules. Hercules shows up in the, at the end of the book. He looks like he's going to be, a part of the team and that's like kind of fun because hercules is a fun marvel character or the marvel the marvel hercules yeah um yeah i'm just i'm just excited for this book i read the first issue and i was like i'm on board i want more shoot that shit into my veins (laughs) it's a great a great team juan cabal has been doing great work at marvel with um Tom Taylor mostly for the last couple of years. Yeah. Like all, all new friendly Wolverine neighborhood Spider-Man and friendly neighborhood. Yeah. And this, like, I'm so glad to see that he's on a book that, um, is like directing the line, which is exciting. So, yeah. Well, folks, we talked for a while, but <laughs> do you have any, what, do you have anything else? Elias? No, I was going to say that's all I got. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's all we got for right now. We're going to take a, uh, a quick break here. A word of, from our sponsors a word from one of the other podcasts on multiversity and we'll come back and we'll talk don of x stuff so we'll see you hello we're the hosts of the multiversity manga club podcast i'm emily i'm zach and i'm walter each month we pick a manga to read and discuss among ourselves past books include monster a silent voice and pokemon adventures we also look back on the past month's installments of weekly shonen jump discussing the highs and lows from the Viz Anthology. We've even discussed notable manga adaptations like Netflix's Death Note. At the end of each episode, we announce next month's book club pick so you can read along with us. We're always open to suggestions for future books as well. So join us on the first Friday of every month on multiversitycomics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. And we're back for the second part of the episode. We're going to be talking about uh the some of the dawn of x books from february or from january february uh this week when the why the time the episode comes out we'll have sort of the first true book of wave two uh we'll have hit stands wolverine number one which we'll talk about uh on our next episode um but for this part we're going to talk about the last two issues of the main flagship x-men title and then we'll and the podcast talking about the first issue of X-Men Fantastic Four number one. It also should be noted too, which we'll probably touch on a little bit, that all the Dawn of X books, at least of way one, have made it through an entire arc at this point, an entire six issue arc. Um, Excalibur, New Mutants, X-Men, X-Force, Marauders, and have made it through an entire arc and Fallen Angels after six issues has concluded its run with some ideas or at least the character of of quantum to be picked up in hellions which will start next month so we're gonna start we're gonna talk about x-men uh issues number five and six kind of together 
uh, a little bit separately, but mostly together. And part of that, I think, has to do with the fact that these are the first X-Men flag, the first issues of the flagship title that Leno Yu hasn't been the artist on. So X-Men number five, written, of course, by Jonathan Hickman, illustrated by R.B. Civil and R.B. Civil and Marti Gracia. And then number six, written by Hickman, illustrated by Matteo Bafagni and colored by Sonny Go. Both issues lettered by Clayton Cowles. It may come as no shock to those listening that these two were my favorite two issues, have been my favorite two issues of the main X-Men run. I think part of that is because uh, of Yu's absence. Uh, I, I really like sort of the more um, expressive, less deadpan kind of uh, stuff that, that, that Silva and, and Bufagni were doing. Um, they both both issues because the entirety of this first arc has been sort of one shots really focused on honestly really focused on the villains of and building up who are going to be the potential villains of the uh, the the Krakoa era of the X-Men having these two artists on these two issues like really sold the tone for like the characters that are going to be uh, antagonists for the X-Men going forward. So like the first issue we uh the followed up directly on house of x and powers of 10 and the x-men were again taking on orcus which they had done in house of x the second issue had them had some more weird krakoa stuff with the krakoa and the other part of krakoa the island starts with an a and i can't remember why Uh, they come back together arako yeah i think it's krakoa but an anagram oh that's dumb i mean that makes sense uh the third issue was like the what if the Golden Girls were environmental terrorists. Um, the fourth issue was uh, realizing that Krakoa is still going to be hated by all the other governments of the world. And then these two issues, five uh, picked up on some of the uh, thing in the first issue. Uh, the Children of the Vault are going to be uh, antagonists, it seems like, in this new age. The Children of the Vault being characters that were created during Mike Carey's run. On the X Men, um, if Jake were here, he could tell you when that was, but I couldn't tell. I can't tell you. But I my think carry it was post Morrison. Post Morrison, I think that's that right. So mid aughts. So. Um, so characters that many have said. So uh, Children of the Vault, I think created by Mike Carey. Two thousand six. Two thousand six. I know Chris Bacala was an yeah. artist on that. I don't know if he was. One, he was the artistic mm-hmm. co-creator. He was. Okay, great. I'm winning this. Uh, characters that many have said. <laughs> Uh, were sort of under underutilized in uh, in Carrie's run, but that Hickman is is very fond of, and that's a run that Hickman has said he's very fond of in interviews and things. Uh, and then the sixth issue, picking up on aspects of House of X and Powers of Ten, uh, focused on Mystique, who wants to burn shit down. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Uh, and we can take these we can take these kind of separately or together. But I guess well first. So overall, um, I need to figure out what I'm asking. Overall, um, what have you thought about the first arc of of X Men and having these sort of different vignettes of the villains or the antagonists? Well, I don't know what Jake would say, but Jake's not here. It's uh, fine. <laughs> Jake's not here. <laughs> he can yell at us in the comments. I, this is true. I look forward to hearing his hot takes once they've cooled. Yeah, yeah. But yes, uh, I re- I love this kind of thing. I I'm, I think what Hickman has done with X Men is super weird, but in the best kind of way. Because he entered and he said, "Okay, I'm canceling all these fucking books. I'm doing two two miniseries that are actually one miniseries, and they're going to release weekly. 
but they're going to be just the weirdest thing you've ever read. And then we're launching brand new books with a unified system. Let's go. And it worked. And now we have his main title, which feels like a classic X-Men comic, or just a classic comic in that it's not built for the trade. It's built per single issue. In short, it's building over this large run. We know all, next to nothing about half of these, uh, any of these plot threads. Nothing's really being picked up issue to issue, but each issue, the arc and whatnot is being resolved, and the idea at play is being set up and and when you end it, it leaves you feeling satisfied, even if they haven't addressed or answered or even moved forward from the actual plot events. And I really like that. I'm really liking this snapshot approach to the main X-Men title, uh, whereas all the other Dawn of X books are doing six-issue trade stuff, except for the other Hickman book, which is Hickman Ewing, uh, or no, no, Hickman Brisson, the New Mutants book. That one's also kind of sort of six-issue build for the trade, but it's playing with it. You get two issues in space, and then you go, we're going to a farm, and then we're back to space. This is not what I would have expected from the main X-Men book, and I'm really glad it isn't what I was expecting it to be. Because also, I could pick up issue six, and I, I might be confused simply because it's Hickman and it, his concepts are a little dense. And, like, if I didn't know the new status quo, I might be like, okay, what's going on? But I could read that just that one issue, get a complete story, and be like, oh, I want to know what's going on with this. I want this to be followed up at some point. I want to know what's, you know, uh, what are they dealing with? What are they talking about? And this ties back to, like, I want to know what love six. is. <laughs> I mean, isn't that what issue six is all about? Yeah, pretty much. I want my wife pretty back, much. baby. Uh, yeah, but that's following up on a bunch of stuff from House of X, Powers of Ten, with the Orcus Master Mold Satellite and uh, Mystique getting spaced. Yeah. It also, It's also addressing on other themes of, well, not everything is perfect on this on, on uh, Krakoa, and it never really was pretending to be, but the purpose of House of X Powers of 10 wasn't to question the plan being presented. It was to be the plan and say, this is the ideal. This is how it's working. And we could read into whatever we wanted. But here, it's explicitly saying, oh, no, they're clearly not. Per like, like this, this utopia isn't real. There's no such thing as utopia. There's always going to be uh, sacrifices and there's always going to be compromises and also the question of they brought in all of these villains and these anti-heroes and the people who always sat in the middle who have their own goals and the, what happens when the goals of the these individuals come up against the goals of the nation of Krakoa as envisioned by Xavier and uh, Magneto I don't really know then you, because in other books, like in Marauders, we've got all the stuff dealing with uh, Emma Frost and the White Queen, her power plays uh, on, on the underside. And we haven't even seen Moira since... It's powers of 10-6. Yeah. We, what's going on with Moira? Where is she? What's her deal? She's the mastermind behind all of this, but it feels like she's been letting Xavier 
and uh, and Magneto and and to to another extent Apocalypse run wild mm-hmm. on Krakoa. So what's going on? I don't know. It, I'm I'm really digging what's going on, and I think I kind of wish more of the Dawn of X books took note of what Hickman was doing here in X Men to then I don't know to to I guess I think to be more experimental because mm. while I'm loving a lot of these other books, the only other book that really feels like it's pushing the envelope is Hickman's other book. The others feel like not stand like well done and well executed ideas built on the new space. And I'm, I guess, I'll I'll let you talk about the X Men books, and then then I'll do a quick debrief on on Dawn of X's for first arcs. But it feels like they're not taking as many risks as they should have. But the main X Men title really is considering the medium that's being created in which is the monthly floppy and telling stories that fit that in a way that also fits the eventual trades that also fits people wanting to come back issue by issue because you don't know what to expect you don't know what to expect next month i didn't know it would you have expected that in issue five we would be getting mystique going on secret missions and then being like I want my fucking wife back. <laughs> Get me my wife. You promised. And Xavier going, mm, sorry. And Missy going, well, guess I got to burn it all to the ground now. Yeah. My wife told me this would happen. I did. There were parts of that issue. Cause like I read, like I read the solicit for that issue and I knew it was going to be a mystique centered story. And there was like, you know, the part of me that was like, okay, Morris said they can't give destiny back to her so she might be an antagonist for this whole new era of x-men i didn't imagine the issue was going to go um like this which and like to see xavier and magneto already compromise on their sort of like the principles and the laws of your like so quickly did Um, they ever really have them i mean kind of i mean like kind of for for the normies, but like Mystique is clearly not one of the normies. I yeah. I don't know what I expected out of this issue. I, I don't know if I thought like Mora might show up again or if like Mystique and Mora might have a, I don't, but so I knew it was going to be something like that. And I, I thought that one of the outcomes might be Mystique gets set up as a possible foil for Krakoa going forward. Uh, now I think that the issue asks a lot of questions and leaves a lot unanswered. Like it asks, whether or not um like mystique killed uh dr what's her name greg dr gregor dr gregor i think i think that i absolutely think that mystique killed dr gregor and that every time that we see dr dr gregor from now on that it's going to be mystique and mystique in disguise i think that's really really cool um i wasn't expecting destiny to have filled in mystique on on things that like Mm-hmm. Uh, it's in one of the previous in timelines. one of the previous timelines, like or I think in this oh, timeline, no, no, no. In, in this, this timeline, timeline, yeah, uh, that somehow Moira already already fooled or foiled her her plan or whatever. I didn't expect that Mystique would have actually put a flower on the Orcus thing, which I don't know how they haven't found the gate there. But that, like yet? there were a lot of things about the issue that were 
were interesting and and asked more questions than they did give more answers which is what these first few issues or these first six issues of x-men have done all they they all most of what they've done is ask more questions rather than give more answers and at first for the first three issues especially when we got the what if betty white killed her husband and wanted (laughs) to buy krakoa drugs um yeah uh when i hit that issue i that was when i think i was the most sort of frustrated about this approach um even though even though what you're saying makes a lot of sense the fact that um this is not writing comics for a trade for a 60s trade this is writing comics for uh to be enjoyed every month to be enjoyed like and to, to enjoy the issue like in and of itself and i and i appreciate that perspective and i like i like being reminded of that I will say that I don't think and I don't wish that other of the the Dawn of X books would have taken this approach because I I came into reading some of those other books and I really, really wanted answers to some questions or at least like wanted to feel like I was getting answers. Yeah. Um, OK, no, no, I get you. Yeah. Uh, and I, and 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 also to your point uh, about New Mutants being the other experimental book, I will say we don't have the conclusion to the Hickman written portion of that. So after issue seven, we'll get, I guess, the the wrap up of of the Hickman portion of, of New Mutants. And then he'll leave, I think, mm-hmm. the book um, and Brisson will, will take over fully. Uh, but I needed I needed at least sort of the idea of progress, I guess, or I wanted some answers or I wanted some sort of furthering. Like, I think that Excalibur did a really good job of telling like a full story and doing something new and like Marauders which I like, I think I said, I didn't love the first issue. Like that book has gotten like super, super good. Ended the issue, ended the the arc. I mean, ended the sixth issue on like a, a wild ass cliffhanger, which we'll talk about some, I think as it relates to the next issue. Cause I have questions uh, or the, or I mean the next book that we're going to talk about, um, uh, which like that book has gotten like super, super great. Uh, X-Force it being low on the list has like come around and like turned into like a really great book and like new mutants, even though like the story has been split has been a lot of fun. Fallen angels has been what it's been. Uh, but <laughs> what, what, what was that? Been, I couldn't hear you been, over all the disappointment. Yeah. That's all there was. Uh, something about butterflies. I don't know. Whatever. Uh, um, anyway, yeah, I think like, I think all the books have gotten a lot better and I think that, I'm happy that Hickman's getting to do still like the sort of what he might think is interesting or the experimental thing, the still building thing, because that is the one thing that Hickman is the best at. Like Hickman is a, is a, a, a world, a plot, a schema, an idea builder. And he's like very, very great at that. And when given the time and the, and the space and the ability to follow all those, those ideas to their extremes. That's also really, really fun. Um, I think the fact that we spent the first, I guess it's only been four months, four or five months, whatever of Don of X, like a Pikmin just asking more questions makes me think that this sort of status quo is going to go on for forever and ever and ever. Cause Hickman is in no hurry to get any, get anywhere. Although I will say we know now that Hickman and Pepe Larraz are doing the free comic book day issue of X-Men Marvel's free comic book day issue. So I think there's some sort of big, and they've teased this in interviews, some big something happening this summer in this world, which I'm excited to, 
to get to. And I'm sure that it's going to be mostly either like Hickman written or Hickman co-plotted. And so I'm excited. I'm excited to make some progress. I'm excited for some of the questions to start to yeah. be answered. But I, 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 and I will say, and I'm excited for X-Men when we get to X-Men seven to, I think, start paying off on Hickman's, what Hickman's been doing in New, Mut- in, in New Mutants and for it to start at, um, doing more things and giving us some answers. I, I've liked the setup. I'm glad that the setup and the like sort of getting to play in the world is going to get transferred to Hickman doing the giant size X-Men one shots. I, I do think though, part of why uh, like five and six worked for me so much, I think, I think, well, I think a lot of it was the art, but I think that they offered answers. They asked new, like they asked new questions and they asked different questions and the structures of the issues themselves were, were different um, and, and interesting and different from what we've had in all the other Don of X books. Like the way that in issue number five, um, RB Silva and Tom Muller together, like make the art pages into the design pages. Like when, when Serafina like walks into the vault. Um, so like, so like issue five deals with uh, Serafina who we saw first in X-Men number one, trying to escape back into the, into the vault where all the children of the vault live and come from. And we learned that. Right. Time, I thought she was a black swan. I didn't know what the fuck she was. <laughs> uh, we learned like that time in the vault functions differently than time in our universe. And so then the Krakoa, the Krakoans, the X-Men devise a plan to sneak uh, Wolverine, Laura Kinney and two other mutants into the vault who they can infiltrate and they could survive in this rapidly increase, like this more rapid time increase than like in our real world so that they can gather all the data about the children of the vault to be reported back eventually later. Um, but like the design page, like the, the pages, like you have RB Silva art and then you have like the vault itself processing all of these things. Uh, and that's like super, super beautiful. In addition, X-Men number six is the first of the Dawn of X books to not have a data page in it. It's the first, it's the first like typical sort of not typical, but it's the, it's the sort of first like quote unquote, like normal comic of the Dawn of X era. No data pages. We just like get to see mystique um, like plotting and performing and scheming. Uh, and we don't need data pages because the way that Hickman and specifically like Bufagni and like Sunny Go sell like her mood, her sort of um, darkness, her like duplicity, her emotion, uh, like in all of it is just done so beautifully that to have like a design page showcasing something else, probably telling us something that we already knew would be superfluous. Um, and it's great. And it's great. And there's the line like that everybody's been talking about of, of, of mystique yelling at Charles and Magneto that she wants her wife back that she wants Irene back. And this is like, yes, it's the, it's the answer to the fact that yes, all the subtext from the eighties, Chris, Chris, Chris Claremont would be pleased that Irene and, Myst- and mystique were like actually married or like not at least, you know, like were the subtext becomes the text. subtext has become text. Um, like that's all true. And that's wonderful and cool, but this is the first sort of like more typical comic superhero comic in the Dawn of X era. And yet what it does is completely sort of like subvert 
like it's not really a superhero comic it's like just a comic of like like love lost and and it's like has a different kind of genre than some of the other uh things that have come before even even if it's like telling a story that picks up on these other like it just it just works like all of these different things are have finally sort of like coalesced these are like very different and and interesting and nuanced and that's why um i think like these two issues have worked worked for me more than the first four issues of this book even though some of them were very good and i enjoyed them that was long that was a lot of words <laughs> there's a lot of words but a lot of good words because these they're 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 very different comics than anything that else that's going on at marvel really and i absolutely love that i love the focus we're getting uh the the mystique issue is also the first issue that doesn't feature scott summers of the main x-men books yeah um i don't think he's in it even once he's not um yeah which which I think Hickman even said he's like the first, the Summers family are going to be featured in the first five, and then we're going to move on. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Which I think I think is good. Scott was a nice unifying factor of the first five issues, and now that we had that Children of the of the Vault issue, um, we can start paying off other questions uh, and other answers. Uh, like in this one, more of Orcus, more of what's mystique been up to what does she want and also how do charles and uh magneto run charles and eric run things behind the scenes Mm -hmm. because we've really only seen we've seen some of that but a lot of what we see in the other books is the forward facing stuff yeah Uh, and then we get data pages that kind of give insight um or on the council and and you expect a lot of politic politicking and maneuvering but here it's with mystique who is i guess for all intents and purposes been good friends with both of them on both sides uh, and they're both like mm, sorry yeah. we, d- we don't know that you succeeded and you didn't take this opportunity to kill mm-hmm. whoever yeah i forget who who it's she not, was it's not good friends it's just oh, like yeah, willing like the... willing companion like she says at one point that she's hated like both of them for yeah but for a long time right yeah she didn't she doesn't take this opportunity or at least she reports back to them that she didn't kill dr gregor and they're like why didn't you and she's like following the rules and they're like the rules don't apply <laughs> like rules don't apply this time uh and then after all this time after all the years of backstabbing mm-hmm. uh do you think we can trust you yeah and i'm like wow uh pot meat kettle yeah yeah yeah. So I'm I'm really appreciating the the layers that Hickman's bringing to these books. Yeah, uh, and I think we'll continue to bring. And I kind of hope that he pays off on some of the other large ideas, yeah. not necessarily the plot elements, but the ideas like what was going on with our speculations with the triad in uh, issue one from the data page. Mm-hmm. Uh, what? How are these laws being applied elsewhere? How? Because we've seen a lot of talk and discussion, like issue six is about uh, the kill no man law, but we don't really see any of the make more mutants that was made, and then poof, no one's really been, no one's really used that one. Yeah, no one's taken that and run with it. Yeah. So, I kind of hope that that he or or some of the other writers start to run with that. Mm-hmm. Speaking of the other writers, yeah, 
Yeah, so I will do say a quick, quick decompression on the first arc. Yeah, I will say Excalibur picked up on the make more mutants stuff a little bit, but only for Rogue and Gambit to say that they didn't want to have kids. Um, mm. But I think um, briefly, but before we move to the next thing, thank you. Uh, I think that I think that you're right. Like the way that Hickman is is doing X Men, like like this issue specifically, like made me want a mystique solo comic in set in this world of just like mystique plotting and scheming. Um, in the same way that mm. like this issue made me like want a book that focused just on like Xavier and Magneto, or at least like that focused on the quiet council. And so it was, it'd be like almost a like West wing meets Krakoa kind of book. Like, um, like I think just like, like a politics focus. Yeah. On. The chill. Like, I think, yeah. yeah the last issue like issue number five like i want to know all the things that are going to happen to um like to to laura and to darwin and sink i think oh my god like, yeah. when that gets when, i don't know like when that's going to be picked up but i want to know i want to know what's happening to all those characters in um like while they're in there like i want a, a mini series or a book that that picks up on that like i think the way that he's doing this like can be frustrating but it's like frustrating in the way that it's like i want i just want more um which is not necessarily a problem like it's not a problem it's just like it's a matter of i want things it's doing what it's supposed to do yeah 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 but i i don't know if i'd want like when you said mystique solo series my, my gut reaction was no i don't think it could handle it in the same way i think this her her plot right now works best when we check in on her mm-hmm. w- within the, the context of X-Men, I think a miniseries would, would water that down a little, even if it was expertly handled, I think it would have, it, it, it wouldn't fit super well, but when you, but I think just a politics focused book, which I think this, this, this kind of is, but if we had one that was very much just dedicated to watching all the scheming, like the West wing, as you said, I think that would be really interesting. Yeah, I I I just want that because I think it would be fun. But yeah, so so you leading to to this next this next point, Donovex. So we're at we're at this point where we're about to begin Wave Two, and so we're about to get Wolverine, and the Giants has X Men one shots and Cable and Hellions and X Factor and Children of the Atom, and probably more things this summer. Um, and technically X Men Fantastic Four. Well, I have thoughts about that, but we'll get there in a second. Um, <laughs> Okay. Uh, but yes, and X Men Fantastic Four. What do you think about all these first arcs of these books? We've touched on it a little bit about like different expectations and things. But what have you thought holistically now that we're five months um, into into this? What do you think? I'm. Ho- I think first, I'm hoping that they slow down their release schedule a little bit, which I think they might now that there are more yeah. X Men books. I think all the books um, are going to be once a month from here on out. Yeah, I think they wanted to get people used to twelve books a month again, and they were just—they yeah. really just wanted to get this for these first arcs out before Wave Two started, yeah. um, which kind of sucks. But it's also now we've got a whole, a whole trade out. Yeah, um, and I think they wanted there was some kind of like plot point that they're trying to get to with all of them. In some ways, mm-hmm. like I think it 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 wouldn't make a lot of sense for there to be a Fallen Angels book and a Cable solo series again. It would yeah. be hard to sell uh, X-Men number five with Laura going into the vault if she was still in Fallen Angels. Uh, yeah. 
Wolverine or even Hellions exist. or Hellions to exist. It even like Wolverine even says in in X Men Five, like he would have gone into the vault, but he has something to take care of. So like, which is his book? His, like he's getting a solo series. Yeah, yeah, and same so, too. Like I think like with X Factor and Children of the Atom, like both which are going to play with like brand brand new things. Maybe it wouldn't have made a lot of sense for them to be brand brand new at the beginning. Although I think I would have loved less so i mean children of the atom maybe so but like x factor i think would have been fun from the beginning but i don't i don't know that for sure holistically of 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 the first wave of this first arc i think it was a really good it it was it was about setting up the status quo Mm -hmm. uh for these different teams and setting up what does the world look like now that krakoa is here from the krakoan side yeah in all its different ways. Um, so, and and how is the nation of Krakoa working in the world? And so you have these different team books filling niches in there. You have the main X-Men book, which it's just kind of doing its own thing. That's the big overview of who, who are the external threats. X-Force is the Black Ops book. Um, it's their secret security force. It's the it's the CIA. It's mutant CIA, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, Marauders is it's all the illegal shit, <laughs> but but not the same illegal shit as X Force. Um, I think that humanitarian, I guess, would be it's the pirate book. Uh, it's like pirate radio. It's all of that, and each book each book kind of serves a purpose. New Mutants is is fun what's going on in space what's going on with this younger generation of uh mutants uh not the older ones that are that are going on these other missions that are being sent on missions the new mutants are they're doing their own thing um and then excalibur is how's the mystical interacting with the mutant and that's also apocalypse's book that's our into to him and to to these other worlds um so i i think that's what this this for these first arcs have done i think they've done a pretty good job uh on the whole of you know setting up each of the stories where each of the stories should go you know clearly with the exceptions of fallen angels which I feel bad that i didn't like it i feel bad that it didn't work out because i know a lot of people were excited about it but you so you were talking earlier about how the you you really wanted answers from a lot of these books yeah um and i think that we didn't necessarily get the same kind of answers plot answers because i think that's all hickman i think hickman's going to be addressing 95 percent of the plot answers to the stuff that he's that's being set up um and like it'll be teased out in these other books and these other books will affect each other and and build out the world and build out events that reverberate uh across each of the different titles that have their own purposes and whatnot, like the death of Xavier and X-Force. What is, what does that do for the nation? How does that then get reflected in these other books? How does the death of death and rebirth of Xavier affect the Marauders mission? Well, if you believe, if you believe the the adventures and poor taste X-Men Monday post from, uh, from this week, the, the thing that it serves is to get Heckman out of the dumb plot point of Xavier, uh, being in Phantom X's body. That was the whole thing for leftover from Astonishing <laughs> X-Men. So, 
now that's I mean, not a I thing anymore. It. Yeah, I, but it, yeah, I mean, you could make the argument that he that he was already out somehow, Cohen Magic. But yeah, that 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 could also be the reason why they they did that. But he worked it in because oh yeah, uh, the yeah. explanation Percy gave I think was perfect. Yeah, and was ex- would be exactly what how how he would handle everything even if he didn't arrange for it necessarily. Yeah. But uh, I think it took a few of these books, a a few issues to really settle into what it wanted to be, uh, which is a problem because I think everyone was expecting these Dawn of X books to really know what they were supposed to be from the start and to be addressing themes set up in House of X, Powers of 10, instead of trying to do their own thing, picking up from the, the, you know, just the new status quo and i think there there was that tension in a few of those early issues between audience expectation between uh author expectation and what was actually being done uh i've I've seen other analysis analyses about how certain themes and ideas aren't really being talked about in question because of the new status quo and like well what does how does the, the the mutant metaphor work um, specifically, now that they have a nation, mm-hmm. what does nationhood mean? When the, the questions of the nation state, questions of uh, marginalized communities having new nation state, and like a lot of these really thorny questions that you know it, it, it doesn't. It, it would be really interesting and it would make sense to approach and talk about, but it's also really difficult because they're these big, weird questions that. I don't know if they're the, these books are necessarily interested in addressing because they're the mutant metaphor doesn't always work. That was a lot. Yeah, no, no, I think, I think, um, I think that's true. I think that, I mean, I think that, I think that you're right. Like, I think that there's still a lot of questions left unanswered. And I think, I think that's one of the things that's really, I mean, you, you kind of said it too. Like, I think that people sort of expected these books like right out of the gate to be, um, building off everything that house of x and powers of 10 did and they they are insofar as they're inventing new things and new questions and they're playing in the universe but i think i kind of expected uh like immediate follow-up i don't know like i think i expected like us to return to the like timelines the like future timelines in some capacity or i think i expected I don't know, like more, like more politics kind of stuff. And I just keep coming back to the golden girls issue of X-Men. Uh, Cause I like, that was not a thing that I, I kind of expected from the beginning of this. Um, but I think like, yeah, the more, like the more that I've sat with everything, the more I realized just how impatient I think that I was kind of at the beginning, like we're going to have two or th- like three more years or less probably like closer to two maybe or more like years of like living with Krakoa and like living with this and like living with Hickman on Krakoa. Um, and, and I just need to like strap in and like get used to that and like live into like all, all the fun that you can have when you, when you get to do something like this. Cause that's, that's really what like, like once I sort of like let go of like that expectation, then I then I was like, oh, like Marauders and New Mutants and Excalibur and X Force like are really really fun books, 
and it like got me more excited for like when X Force or um, when X Factor was announced and when Children of the Atom were, mm-hmm. was announced because I'm like, oh yeah, this is going to be exploring these different things and like this part and like like I just like I want to soak up up everything um, in the status quo. I re like I reread like House of X and Powers of Ten recently and it was like more fun to go back and read the thing now that like we've been a few months into the status quo because like there's so much in there that still hasn't been touched upon and yet like the spirit of the thing sort of like is still there so i i'm more excited now at the end of this than i was at the beginning because there was a moment probably around like issues um like two or three of all the books that i was really like Okay, I'm going to drop a handful of these and I'm, and I'm just going to read the ones that I like. And and this is, this is not what I wanted. And this is not super great, but now I'm really like, no, I need to keep like reading everything and I'm really enjoying this. And I might, I might feel differently once we're a couple issues into Wolverine or once like Hellions hits because those are, or cable. Cause yeah. like those three specifically are not books that I'm the most excited about in the same way that I wasn't overly excited about like fallen angels or, are new mutants mostly because I didn't know those characters super well, but now like, I think that book is really great. Um, and I might find myself after an arc of those books being like, no, I need this. I need to keep doing this. So, um, I think it's going to come in waves. Uh, but I'm really excited about, uh, but I'm really excited about what's happening right now in all these books. So shall we move on then to the next, to the be- the proto beginning of wave two? Yep. Let's, Let's get into it. All right. So, last book of the night that we're gonna, or last book of the night that we're gonna talk about is the first issue of X Men Fantastic Four, the four issue mini series, um, written by Chip Zdarsky, illustrated by Terry Dodson, inked by Rachel Dodson, with assists by Carl Story and Dexter Vines, colored by Laura Martin, and lettered by Joe Carmagna. Um, now, the reason why I say proto uh, wave two is that so the x-men fantastic four features different design pages based on the designs from tom muller um chip zadarsky is the one who uh did the designs for um for the book like him being an artist himself although there is uh like the the cover page has the feel of uh, or the title page the credit page has the feel of the the Dawn of X books, even though it's got a different color scheme. And there is one design page that does have a different color scheme and the fonts are all the same things. The reason, the other reason, and I think this is really interesting and I'm wondering, I'm wondering if you caught this or if you've seen anything about this. Um, So all of the Dawn of X books, of course, like Jordan white is the, the X-Men line editor extraordinaire. Mm -hmm. That's the thing. This book, X-Men fantastic four was edited by Tom Brevor, Brevor, who's the like sort of head editor um, at Marvel, and then it was also this accredited associate editor, Alana Smith, who does like the Miss Marvel books and some of those other teen books. So this book is not coming out of the X office, like specifically. Um, it doesn't have uh, Hickman as, as head of X on it either. It doesn't. Yeah. So that's why. That's why I think that I would put it in sort of the proto wave two category, even though it's picking up. Um, I mean, it's, it's doing, it's picking up on things from house of X and powers of 10. Obviously it's picking up specifically on the, on the moment in house of X number one, where, where Cyclops tells Reed and Sue Richards that he can't wait to see 
their son franklin on krakoa franklin is a mutant he's one of the omega mutants omega level mutants um and this whole mini series i think it's going to be about franklin um maybe or not coming to krakoa so with all of that but i i will say like i think it's interesting that this book didn't come like specifically out of the x office and i think like it shows a little bit in some of the weird anachronisms but i want to get i want to get your your opinion elias so what did you think about this this first issue before we before we dive in like fully i didn't really get any of the hate when i read it a couple weeks yeah so, yeah so i read it a couple weeks after it had come out and when did it come out maybe it was only a few it came days. out the first the first week of february so okay then it was then it was uh, about a week yeah uh, after it, it came out um and and th- th- there was uh, I, I just kept hearing that it was super polarizing uh of, of an issue which after i was uh, i don't know what i was expecting but when i got to the end i was like why are why is this so divisive uh of a first issue it's not that it's pretty standard but it's it's whenever you've got a Marvel book that's something slash something or something versus something. This is what I expect. This is the kind of uh, like conflict that I expect. And I, and I think there's a lot of really good character work from Zdarsky in it. And I mean, seeing the Dodson's art again is just so nice. It's been a while since I've seen Dodson interior art. We've been getting a lot of covers. Um, and I, I think I don't know if it was last time Jake was on uh, and we talked and we brought up Generation X. Uh, the Dodsons did the covers for that, and I didn't particularly care for the interior art, which it's been a long while since I've read it. But um, I really like the way Do- the Dodsons draw action, draw characters. Um, it all, yeah. it, it, it's always a lot, it, very bouncy, a lot of fun, uh, but also kind, kind of heartfelt mm-hmm. um, and solid. I think that that's one of the things you, you view it and you're just like, these are people. And if I, if I flicked them, I would hurt my fingers. Yeah. <laughs> um, sometimes the art artists tend to draw them like stick figures, um, not to not stick figures, but flat. Like it feels like paper instead of uh, clay, I guess would be the best way to do it. Both artistic mediums, very different. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I, I didn't quite get that, what, why it was so divisive. But I, I think kind of thinking about it, if you don't see Xavier and Richards as two egoist, egotistical assholes, you're not going to like the issue because they both are. Yeah. They're, both, they're both kind of terrible, not terrible people. They're both very selfish. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they think about themselves a lot and they don't think through all of their actions in terms of the way other people perceive them or the consequences. I think Xavier is better at it. Um, and depending on the writer Richards is, um, cause Richards is very scatterbrained in that way. Yeah. Uh, and so, so like we get that when, when, uh, he finds out that, Oh yeah. Uh, he put a device that masks his mutant DNA and Franklin's like, dude and everyone else is also like dude what the hell that's not right yeah so i i really like that i I like how 
actions have consequences for everyone. And it's not like, oh, Xavier's right, Franklin should be with him, or Richard's right, Franklin should be with family. It's he's kind of got to make up his own decision. And here's the conflict that comes from not really knowing what you want and having these opposing forces pulling you in different directions because they have their own goals. Uh, and like Reed is right to be suspicious of, of Xavier. Why did, why is Xavier pushing for Franklin to come to Krakow? What, what's his uh, ultimate, what's his goal underneath the goal? I, I really, I'm really liking the way Zdarsky has set up the conflict in this. Yeah. I don't think he writes teenagers so great. <laughs> um, like there's sometimes where Franklin's talking, I'm like, that doesn't really sound like a kid, but it's also Franklin Richards. So there's that. Yeah. I don't, I had, I had much less of a problem with the way like Franklin and Val were written in this issue than I did with the way that Cassie was written in, in the issue of it. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, I didn't have like any problems, I guess like plot wise or like script wise um, or like dialogue wise, I guess like with this issue, I would say um, like, I really, really liked this issue for many of the reasons that you, that you said, like, I think it's, I think it's gorgeous. I think the Dotsons do really, the Dotsons and Laura Martin do a really great job. And um, it's fun seeing like what some of the like classical X-Men artists are gonna, are doing and are going to start doing with the status quo. Like we're about to get some Adam Kubert stuff on, on Wolverine. So that's going to be fun. And we're getting a, a juggernaut book in, uh, in May or whatever it is. Uh, um, so like, that's cool. That's cool. Um, I think, uh, and like, and again, like, and like you're saying, like this, this issue sort of sets up like the conflict in a very sort of like stock standard kind of way of like, okay, they want Franklin. They're going to fight a little bit and then they're not going to fight. And then, you know, Franklin's going to stick sneak off and then doom shows up. Um, like all of the players, all the players. <laughs> oh, yeah. I forgot about. Doom. Yeah. Yeah. You just kind of snuck in there at the end, you know, doom style, doom sneak. It. Anyway, uh, like all the players are on the board issue one. And that's, that's great because a lot, you know, a lot of time with, with mini series, uh, people fall into the category of, setting up everything only to rush to a conclusion by the end of the miniseries. And here, like all the players are on the board and less sinister is, is going to show up, which, which he, he very well might. Um, and I like that. I like, this is going to be that this is going to be four issues and they're not wasting any time. I think the thing that, yeah. that similarly to the end story question of, of why now of why, why do Xavier and Magneto need to send uh kate kitty pride to go help them get franklin to come to krakoa um i was also thinking like why publish this mini series right now that was really sort of my mm. question um because like so one like in story xavier and magneto both don't call kate kate uh this version of kate pride that's in this mini series feels very different and removed from the Kate that's been showing up in Marauders. Um, also the Kate that's yeah. been showing up in Marauders is dead right now after the uh, events. Of- well, we don't know exactly when this issue takes place. Right. It could right, take place right. much earlier. That's what, that's what I'm. You think it takes place earlier, assuming? like before? Uh, uh, 
I, thought, I don't know. It's I nebulous. think it, it feels like it feels nebulous, and it feels like it could it could be it could be anywhere. Um, Kate's so like it's after Fantastic Four number nine. Yes, whenever the <laughs> that is. yeah um, yeah like and like she's not wearing you know Kate's not wearing her sort of like captain thing like she just she doesn't feel like the character that she has been written like in 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 Marauders that like is all fine and I get that you know um, comic book characters and writers like it's all superfluous it depends on who's writing and yada yada like that's all fine and dandy I'm not like mad about that it just feels weird because it feels like everything Dawn of XYs has been very coordinated this far and this feels um very sort of not with the x office yeah not with the x office like it it having having kate show up in like a different a different outfit which she's only sort of been in the captain's gear in marauders having her be in this issue when it's clear like because we got the solicitation for marauders i think it's 11 come may that like we're gonna have the viking funeral for kate because she's like dead right now and we're still figuring out the mystery of why she couldn't be in Kokoa and if she'll get resurrected if she's able to be resurrected now like with all those oh, sure. questions yeah. it feels weird to publish like this this uh this mini series like that nothing else is kind of going on in that way and so that's why i use the word like anachronistic because it feels like yeah. nothing about technically or story wise or dialogue wise or art wise about this issue was bad and i really enjoyed it it just feels like with everything else happening in that universe and like it being so coordinated, it feels strange that we're getting this book at this moment. Um, and that Kate, yeah. who is a character that clearly has a big role to play in this new status quo is treated very differently in this book than she's been treated in the other book that she's been in. Yeah. And how, if this is me extrapolating, if it does happen pre death, this is, why haven't why haven't we heard anything about Franklin? Then again, they haven't really addressed like he hasn't really talked about it. Yeah. Um, so I, I, it's a that's an important question though. Like the why this story now? Yeah. Uh, or we know the, the the question is also why these characters now? And well, we know exactly why because Franklin, Franklin's an important chess piece. And that might be the reason. Yeah. Might, the reason might be we need to settle this question in this story now so that when Hickman or whoever gets to that story later, this has already been told. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Maybe they need maybe all... they need these characters in some, in some place. Maybe they need Franklin down the road, or maybe they... Yeah, and I think, I think they will, because yeah. he was mentioned in the data pages in House of X Powers of 10 as an Omega level mutant. And that's kind of repeated here um, and all of that. And the question of, well, where do Franklin's powers come from? Yeah. Um, and there's that, that whole thing about the, the God power or whatever, which I find really interesting. Yeah. Um, and I kind of wish slot was doing more shit like this instead of, whatever he's been doing oh fantastic yeah. Four. yeah this issue made me um, made me wish that zadarsky was still doing writing the fantastic four. Oh my god two and one was the best fantastic four story yeah we've it was very good forever. yeah 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 that um, no no qualms no qualms with that at all like yeah uh, but i get to uh, that i noticed that the kate kate being treated differently and also not really biting back at people saying kitty like mm-hmm. franklin does <laughs> Uh, which might be she lets him do that because he's Franklin. That might be something that that works. 
but uh, I don't I don't know that's that's a tough question why why are they putting this out now and what purpose does it serve mm-hmm. um, but what since you pointed out that it wasn't from the X office that actually maybe not worries me but it's kind of annoying that that the X office wouldn't oversee this um, because sure Fantastic Four it's important to have someone overseeing that but with how tightly connected the x-men books are right now yeah having this be outside of it is so weird it's yeah there has to be a reason for it there has to be a reason for why you know it's being published under a different line instead of with the 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 x books and it, it might just be that they needed to shuffle it off to a different editorial team yeah that editorial team overseeing what eight or nine books now. Yeah, no, yeah, uh, more than that. I mean, like it could be, it, makes, it could be innocent. You're totally like you're totally right. It could be reading, and it would make sense being like, oh, it's a Fantastic Four one. The Fantastic Four editors can handle that. Um, this book and they'll touch. And it is a little annoying that Hickman isn't credited as, you know, head of X on it. Yeah. Um, but also like I I don't know where Tom Tom Muller wasn't credited on this main page yeah um and now there was chip zadarsky for the the designs yeah um but uh, uh carlos Lau is credited for production right right uh but so it, it it is a little weird when you consider it but i think it's four issues <laughs> we, we'll reach the end yeah, and then, no, then no. find out whether or not what was going on yeah, I and I I I totally agree with that, and and I think like it's it's fun. Like I think it's really fun that it's four issues, because um, that's like such a, a a small and like distinct amount of numbers. Like start like Zdarsky and the Dotsons, like they don't have any time to waste, um, and it seems like they're not yeah. wasting any time. And I and I had read some interviews with Zdarsky where he said that the 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 outcome or the aftermath of this book was going to be sort of shocking or world shaking or blah 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 which like they say that about every book now at marvel um that's like not a big they have for the last 30 years yeah you know everything is everything is big and and mind-blowing and i do believe it but i I believe it when zadarsky says it yeah i think i think that's genuine Uh, genuine in in this case and i feel like the 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 outcome of this is either gonna it's gonna settle the question of what like Franklin's relation to Krakoa and it might also settle further questions of what do the other powers that be in the Marvel universe, the other heroes like the fantastic four, the Avengers and others like think of what's going on in Krakoa. And I'm excited about it for like, for those reasons. Um, So Mm -hmm. we'll see. Cool. Cool. Well, I think that's it. Uh, I think so. Yeah, Elias. That's... Thanks for thanks for being thanks for being on. Glad to be here. Yeah, always. Where can uh, where can folks find you on the the larger the larger interwebs? Uh, they can still find me here at multiversitycomics.com. Mm-hmm. I have articles. I have comments. I've got. Uh, I'm very proud of my uh, end of decade article about Nightwing's butt. Please go check it out. <laughs> you'll you'll enjoy it. It's fifty or more images of Nightwing's butt. <laughs> Get in on that. Um, and you can also find me at uh, at Quetzal Ish Q U E T Z E L 
ish mm-hmm. on Twitter. Uh, I probably will not respond uh, only because I don't check Twitter enough and Twitter doesn't actually let me know when I have notifications, only when it wants me to know, hey, you missed this guy's tweet about a silly cat. Yeah, you need to know those things. Thanks, Twitter. But uh, I needed to know that. Twitter's still listening to you. You know, they're still advertising specifically to you. They're still listening to all the things that you say that you might want, you know. Uh, I know. Yeah. Uh, gotta love it. Gotta love gotta love the surveillance. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at KBGregory13. Also, a brief shout out um a week after this episode airs um c2e2 is happening the chicago comic and entertainment expo it's happening the weekend of february 28th and i will be there um i think i'm the only person go see him go see me i think i might be the only person from multiversity comics there but i'll have a press badge be hanging out on some panels going to marvel panels going to other panels, be hanging out on the floor, doing some interviews and things. We might have some fun interviews um, on this show from things from C2E2. Um, but if you're going to be at C2E2, drop me a line on Twitter, drop me a line in the comment section of this post on, uh, on North versus comics or Apple podcasts. I would love to, uh, to chat with you on the show floor. Um, but with that folks, we're signing off for the month of February Give us a shout out on Twitter. Give us a shout out on the comics, comments, rate, review us. We'll see you in the month of March with more Don of X stuff, more news, more Empire, more Marvel, and all the things that you could ever want. We'll see you.